the end of the day, this really is a math game. It is just risk reward and probability of success. I, I don't care if you have a Warren Buffett approach. I don't care if you're running a high frequency trading algorithm. It's all going to come down to how that math works out on your risk reward and probability of success in order to have long-term profitability. And that's why even though I have an approach that works for me that I've, you know, built into for over a decade of trading now, I, I'm not a person who's going to come out and say that anyone, that any, any approach is wrong if it makes money. There's so many different ways that you can approach the market to be able to be consistently profitable, but they all have these certain things that are in common. Risk reward probability of success. You have to be able to be disciplined with your downside, with your risk management, with your money management. Entry execution is going to be really important. Regardless of approach, it's going to come down to those key fundamental things that's going to determine success. This is the How to Trade Stocks Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. I have three special free gifts for you over at 10MinuteStockTrader.com. That's the Triple Stock Profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, How to Easily Discover Proven Backtested 100% Plus Winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours, at 10MinuteStockTrader.com. The Triple Stock Profits ebook, the free web class, and the bullish power cheat sheet. And all you got to do is go to 10MinuteStockTrader.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest online, Derek Oldensmith. He is the senior trader and managing supervisor for T3 Trading Group. And I am 100% convinced Derek is going to come to the table and teach us something today, which I'm really super excited about. Derek, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Christopher. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself as the uh, managing supervisor and senior trader over at T3 Trading Group. Um, how did you get there? Right. I'm, I'm sure you didn't wake up one day and, you know, at 16 <laughs> years old and they're like, hey, Derek, come, come be our senior trader over here. Tell me, tell me the story, how we got uh, here. Well, yes and no at the same time, to, to be honest with you, I've always had an interest in, in trading in markets, even going back to when I was a kid. I think I bought my, my first stock when I was like, 12, 13 years old off money I had earned myself and was fascinated by how markets worked and that this could be making money for me even while I was sleeping. It was just a, a really cool concept. So uh, I, I grew up in, in Long Island, New York. I went to NYU for college. The entire goal was always to be a trader, get involved in markets. I graduated from NYU in May 2008. If you wanted to get into finance or get into trading, it was probably 
one of the worst times in history that you could have graduated from, from college. And NYU is obviously a very prestigious university, but most of the people I was graduating with who were studying economics or business, they, they couldn't land jobs at all. I got can, I, can I interrupt yep. you for just Go a second? I, I finished my undergrad in May 2007 and then my, my MBA in, in December 2008. And I tell the exact same story. That's yep. like the worst time ever to be job hunting. So I know exactly what you mean. I'm sorry. I had to had to jump yep. in there real quick. I, I have the exact same experience. Well, somehow we both pulled through it if we're here chatting with each other somehow. today, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, interesting time. Most people couldn't get work. I got a little bit lucky. I, I had an internship while I was in school with a company that dealt in distressed assets. So they actually were expanding as a result of the financial crisis when everybody else was more or less imploding. Um, it was honestly the only full-time job offer I had. So I started with them as like a junior sales trader, worked there for a couple of years. Um, it was really more of you know sales trading, being a middleman, uh, being on the phone all the time between institutions. So great experience for me, got my series seven and all that, uh, but it wasn't really what I had a passion for. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in the decision-making process of risk and game planning and what I'm getting involved in. So long story short, I left that company and I joined T3 Trading Group in 2010, basically as just an entry-level equity proprietary trader. And to be honest with you, even though I thought I knew a lot about trading in markets, the truth is I really didn't. I had done investing. I had been a sales trader. I had never done active day or active swing trading. So it was a really large learning curve for me when I first joined the company. But I did understand right from the beginning that the key to this business was going to be in the numbers. It's just risk and money management is going to be the key to success. And I, and I still tell my traders to this day all the time, successful trading is as simple as making more money than you lose, uh, which is Simple sounding, we know in practice, it can be much more difficult than that, but the numbers really make risk management and money management paramount. So I made rules for myself in the beginning of my career that I was very disciplined with. It helped me to be somewhat consistent in a small way when I first got started. I worked on adding scale to that. At the same time, by the way, I was also a professional fighter, I was a professional kickboxer. So I was juggling both those things at the same time. And eventually what this led to is in 2013, T3 gave me the opportunity to start my own trading desk. So I've been now managing professional traders for about eight, nine years. Uh, it's grown into a sizable group. I think I'm currently managing a little over 130 professional traders on a day-to-day -day basis, continuing to trade myself. I'm still very specifically equity focused with my own trading. I day trade, I swing trade, I have a quantitative strategy I developed that I implement by hand into the market on a day-to-day -day basis. Time frame for my positions, I'll have day trades that sometimes last as short as seconds. I'll have swing trades where things line up properly. I can hold that position out for, for over a year. So, so pretty uh, diverse timeframes there. But broadly, I would describe my approach to trading as probably 85% based on technical analysis, 15% based on what I call qualitative fundamentals. And um, that's kind of where I am today. It's been a, been a great ride. Very cool. I have a whole page of notes of... Uh, what you're talking about there. Okay. So let me ask you a question. So going back to uh, when you started at T3 2010, you'd been trading for a while, but you would still consider yourself an entry-level trader in your words when you came to them. And then you, you mentioned you had no idea how to trade really. How, right. how, what was the difference there? What was the disconnect? You had been trading for a while and then you come into a professional trading organization. There had to be, as you mentioned, uh, a very steep learning curve. 
how did that go? What, what kind of things did you learn on that curve? Sure. So there's a big difference between being an investor in a retail account and being a professional active trader. And up until that point in college and everything, it was, you know, primarily investing, buy and hold in companies I believed in that I was doing. And then again, you know, sales trading, being on the phone all the time, that's not teaching you how to execute an idea into the market in, in real time. It's just very different. So even though I had a background of understanding of how things should work, which definitely helped me, there's a huge disconnect between theory and, and practice. And, and that's what I tell young folks who are graduating from universities all the time. I'll speak to somebody, you have a master's degree from you know, an Ivy League university and financial engineering, you've got all this amazing theoretical knowledge in your brain. You set them in front of the computer to actually start executing, very quickly they realize it's an entirely different world. So. So I'm enough, humble enough to realize that I had a, a, a steep learning curve ahead of me. I knew that I didn't know a lot. And I said, if I'm going to be successful at this, I'm going to have to work my butt off and I'm going to have to learn from as many resources as I possibly could. And, and I'm still a believer in that. I think that traders who are up and coming now, or even people who are experienced, you should try to learn from as many different resources, as many mentors, as many books, as many blogs, your podcast, to put it all together in a way that makes sense for you and for your personality so that you can become a successful trader. I couldn't agree more. And I had a similar experience, right? I started trading and I thought I knew everything. And then in the first 60 days, I, I blew up two thirds of my account. You know, that's usually how it goes, right? Yeah, and I've seen that. Yeah, I, I blew up my account twice. And then after the second time, I was like, I can't do this anymore, literally. So I, I sought out like the best traders in the world. I, I have been coached by directly um, three of the market wizards uh, nice. and, and the, the opportunity to work with them, to network with them, to learn from them has a lot to do with what you're talking about here, right? Having a set of rules. One of the market wizards, uh, Larry Height, uh, you, may, you probably know Larry Height, first billion dollar hedge fund manager. He told yeah. me that when, way back when, he ran some sort of computer program, which I don't know how he did that back in his day, but... Um, he found that random entries would beat most traders 90% of the time, as long as you focused on the risk management, meaning right. you kept your losses small and you let your winners run as far as they'll run before they turn around. Is that some of the things you incorporate inside of uh, your trading rules there? 100%. Uh, like I said earlier, risk management is the key to success in this business, especially being a professional prop trader. The company allocates us tremendous amounts of potential leverage that we can utilize. I tell the team of traders I'm working with all the time that what I'm doing is 85% risk management, 15% reward maximization. And, and I'll tell you, I've worked with traders over the years who were excellent traders, could look at a chart, could tell you what the stock is probably going to do. But if they weren't great risk managers along with it, they usually don't succeed despite how well they could read a chart. I've also seen the opposite. I've seen people who manage risk really well. They're mediocre traders. They got ideas that work and ideas that don't and their execution could use improvement. That type of stuff will come in time. If you focus on that risk management and you have other weaknesses like your execution or again, whatever, it's like playing a sport. The more you get out there, the better you're gonna become and it all comes together in the long run where as long as you're not doing damage to yourself on your bad days or your failed trades, which we all have bad days. We all have failed trades. I don't care how experienced you are. It's just not how this business works. It's a game of probabilities. It, it, 
even if you have a, a, a trade idea that could work 90% of the time, guess what? It's still going to fail 10% of the time. So how much money are you losing on that 10% of the time versus how much do you make the 90% of the time when it works, right? Oh, Derek, when I first started trading, I was trading iron condors because the idea of the iron condor really interested me, right? The idea that you could have a stock that could go up, it could go down, or it could go literally nowhere and you profit. No, in my thought, in my mind, there was no way to lose. And um, (laughs) at the end of the year, I did an analysis and I found that 90% of the dollars that I lost that year were from iron condors. They had an 80 plus percent win rate, but nine out of $10 that I lost in that year were on that strategy because exactly what you said, I damaged myself, right? Yeah. 80 plus percent win rate. But when those losers were six, eight, I don't know, maybe more times the size of a winner, you can't mathematically come ahead. There's no possible yep. way. Yep. hundred percent. At the end of the day, this really is a math game. It is just risk reward and probability of success. I, I don't care if you have a Warren Buffett approach. I don't care if you're running a high frequency trading algorithm. It's all going to come down to how that math works out on your risk reward and probability of success in order to have long-term profitability. And that's why, even though I have an approach that works for me that I've, you know, built into for over a decade of trading now, I'm not a person who's going to come out and say that anyone, that any, any approach is wrong if it makes money. There's so many different ways that you can approach the market to be able to be consistently profitable, but they all have these certain things that are in common. Risk reward probability of success. You have to be able to be disciplined with your downside, with your risk management, with your money management. Entry execution is going to be really important regardless of approach, it's going to come down to those key fundamental things that's going to determine success. You know, you mentioned that this is a math game. And for people that I work with, I say exactly that, that once you get the rules, once you understand how this works, it becomes a game. It's just like playing Mario. And people don't, to me, right, it really is that way because I'm not looking at dollars. I'm looking at units, right? Maybe I have one unit, maybe I have 25 units, whatever the case is. I'm only looking at units. I have no idea what my PL is until after the trade is closed. And that helps me a ton, right? Removing yeah. the emotionality. It's it's exactly a hundred percent like going to the casino and using poker chips instead of using dollars on the table, right? It removes for me the emotion. Is that yeah. something that that you do or teach is just remove the the PL side and yeah, it, it, it's it's hard. One of the things that I've joked about in the past is I, I tell my traders when it comes to risk, almost pretend like you're you're taking money out of your wallet. Like if you're gonna risk a thousand dollars on this trade, you might as well go into your pocket, take out a thousand dollars of physical cash, and like put it in a draw somewhere. And then depending on how that trade works out, you can go back to that draw and you can pull out a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, or or maybe it's gone, it's gone forever. And if we could sometimes just physically see it, you know, the numbers on the screen sometimes just don't, don't even feel real, right. you know, like you may making a losing tens of thousands of dollars. And I don't want to think about sometimes like if I have a really bad day, it's like, oh my God, I could have just, I could have just bought a car for the, the, the money I lost today or, or whatever it is. They almost feel like fake numbers and we need to try to find different ways, whether it's the approach that you just mentioned or, you know, what I'm talking about to make those numbers really feel real to you so that you understand this is what risk actually means. And I am paying money for the opportunity to be able to make significantly more than that. That's really what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So tell me, you mentioned that in your trading rules, you're 85% technical, 15% qualitative fundamentals. What does that look like to you? I mean, you don't have to go through everything, but like, sure. give, me, give me an overview, right? What, what, is, what does that look like to Derek? Sure. So when it comes to the qualitative fundamental side of what I'm doing, what I'm, what I'm not doing is sitting around and analyzing balance sheets and doing discounted cash flow analysis. I, I don't really engage in, in, in that, those types of trading activities. I do have some people on my team who have very heavy fundamental backgrounds, and I always love to hear their opinions Derek, on things. Isn't that what they teach you in school? Isn't that yeah, what they say I, when you I, go I, to all your finance courses? You need to I, research them like that, right? I also learned about this thing in school called the efficient market hypothesis. And oh, yeah. it took me about one day of trading to, to realize that that is, is just can't possibly be true. That's so <laughs> funny you say that. When, when I tell people that markets aren't efficient, they look at me like I have three heads. And I'm like, no, I can tell you for a fact, it is not efficient. And yeah. uh yeah, I, I, just, I know exactly what you mean. Just look at this last calendar year. Look at the growth stocks right now. Look at your, you know, your Palantirs and Plug and Fuel Cell and Juma. I mean, there's like hundreds of them. Roku's. Look at where they were in February 2021 versus where they are now as we're almost in February 2022. You know, they went, they had a, a move over the course of like three, four months where some of them went up 100%, 200%, 400% in three months. And now here we are almost a year later and everyone's like, oh my God, how's it possible that these stocks could be yeah. 85% off their highs? And it's like, you, if you only were to type up the charts, the daily charts of certain stocks right now, it looks like we are just in the most insane bear market. But this is what I'm talking about when I talk about qualitative fundamentals. What I'm doing is I want to have a general idea of what does this company do? What does the management look like? Um, what industry are they in? Are they positioned for, for growth? I also want to have an understanding of like one of the big things right now is inflation and interest rates, how that affects multiples. That's all qualitative fundamentals. And what that can do is it can give me a thesis. I think that energy stocks should be going higher because of the type of environment that we're in, because they're value names, because they have great cash flow, because they have dividends. These stocks should be able to work their way higher in an environment where, where the Fed is tightening, as opposed to high multiple ARC, Kathy Wood type stocks. Those are potentially going to take a beating. The question that we're dealing with right now is when I'm looking at some of those beaten down growth, Kathy Wood type stocks that are down 80, 85%, are they priced in or are they overpriced in? And the answer to that is is, is definitely maybe. I, I kind of would like to think it's becoming priced in, but this is where the technicals come into play. So I, I look at some of these stocks, I look at a, a DraftKings right now or a Peloton, I look at the prices that they're, that they're trading at, and I say to myself, okay, it, it seems like the market's maybe overdone this a little bit, because even if we have four interest rate hikes, we're only going up to, to 1%, that still historically is extremely easy monetary policy that can enable these types of growth stocks to potentially still persevere is 85% down, 80% down for some of these names justified. I think that some of them are maybe due for a bounce, but I can't just close my eyes and, and press the buy button just because I think that. This is where the technicals come into play, which is that's the bigger part of my trading. Um, I think that your fundamentals, or I call these qualitative fundamentals, they can tell you what you want to be in, but it's going to be the technicals that tell you how to get in them, the timing on how to get in them, how you're going to manage risk on those positions, how you can manage the reward when and if you're right. And that's key. Otherwise, you could be looking at some of those stocks 
15% ago and be saying the same thing. Oh, they're down too much. I got to come in and buy them. And now your account is blown up when they're at the prices that they're at now. Right. So Absolutely. that's uh, some detail there for sure. No, I love that. It, it, that, that, that makes so much sense in the world, right? It's, it's the idea of finding out what you want to buy and then letting the market tell you when to buy it. Because yeah. those, those are two different things, right? You can't, as you said, blindly buy anything at any time because you could be looking at a SPAC when the SPACs are just like totally crumbling down 60, 70, 80%. And maybe they're going to start finding buyers, but maybe not. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, I was the first person a year ago saying SPACs are in a bubble. These growth stocks are in a bubble. And now here we are a year later saying maybe that bubble's burst. Maybe we should be paying attention to these names and seeing if we can come in with some discounted prices as everybody's hating them. I mean, just, just look at, at, at Kathy Wood herself. She was like a, a golden goddess a year ago. Yeah. And now she is like hated by so many people that are out there. The, you know, I, I, I love just for market sentiment purposes, just paying attention to like Instagram and the memes. Yeah. You know, oh, you, yeah, absolutely. There, <laughs> you see, a, Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I'll go ahead after you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, you see the memes a, a year ago on, and some of them are inappropriate. So I don't want to necessarily say it in the podcast, but you see what the, the Kathy Wood memes were like a year ago and how they were kind of treating her. And now you see where they are now. The sentiment is just totally flipped. Oh, yeah. And that is, you know, I think most of the time you're better off being a trend follower. And that's a lot of what I like to do. Yes. But, that's what I preach. <laughs> absolutely. So, so, so it, Generally, it's so much easier money to be following the trend. The times when you want to consider becoming counter trend are in periods of extremes, extreme periods of sentiment. A, a year ago, when Kathy Wood was the greatest thing since sliced bread, that was a signal. When people who don't even follow finance at all know who this person is, that was a signal that that sentiment was becoming so extreme that maybe you should be considering the opposite side of the trade. And now I'm paying attention to sentiment and, and it's totally reversed and it's becoming so extreme. Or again, most of the time I want to be following the trend, but these heavy periods of extremes, I got to pay attention to that. And I got to recognize that a lot of times that's when things will at least begin to potentially bottom out or, or top out. That makes sense. Um, all right. So, so back to the memes real quick. I, sure. I, I want to share my screen. Um, this is, this is one of the accounts I love to follow. It's called bag holder quotes. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen this. Check it out. I Go not. check this. One. It's so fun. Like I have alerts for this one because it's so funny to me, but, but it's like, uh, you know, memes based on what people say, right? Like yeah. this person's like, like I lost enough in four days to finance four year, years of living yet. I want to buy Tesla with every penny I can find. Right. And, and it's, it's these people. I love to watch the mindset of them because they're like, um, you know, all these about Clove where the stock has gone down 70%, uh, Robin Hood hitting $15. Oh, and and it's just like over, it, it's the best memes out there, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I, I love- I'll check that one out. It's totally like super inappropriate as a professional like you and I are. <laughs> but uh, boy, I love to look at it. It, it makes me laugh. But it also yeah. helps you, in my opinion, it helps you stay grounded, right? Because at one point in time, this person who put on that trade thought they were genius. In fact, just today, I got a text from a cousin of mine who like never texts me, uh, showing me how he made you know four thousand dollars in a particular stock yesterday, and and it goes back to uh, Market Wizard um, uh, Mark Douglas who wrote Trading in the Zone. It's yep. like as soon as you have that first win, 
people can go into a state of euphoria thinking they can never go wrong, thinking everything's going to work out for them. Right. And they just want to brag, but they're not going to be the person who's bragging when they lost the $4,000 or they lost as much as, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's a lot that goes into trading and the psychology. And that, that to me is why I like looking at it as units versus, um, versus anything else really. Like I know that, when I'm going to get in, I'm going to take, um, and I base a lot of my trading around the turtle trading. I don't know how much you do, but uh, for me, I like to use ATR as my position size. Okay. And like one of the things, one of the rules I have is, you know, if I get in and it goes down one half ATR, that's my stop loss point. I get out okay. and move on with life, you know, and that usually happens, as you know, if you're wrong, it happens pretty quick. You don't have to yeah. wait six weeks to find out if you're going to be wrong, you know? Yeah. What are some of the risk metrics you look at? Sure. So I try to keep my risk parameters, um, the stop losses that I'm using in any trade that I'm putting on entirely based on technicals. So I'm looking at some sort of previous pivot low, or I'm looking at something that we call like an ignition bar low and a breakout. So um, for me, the technical levels are key because that's where the market is telling me something. And I want to listen to the message of the market as opposed to what, what I'm not a believer in, though I would still say it's better to do it this way because at least you have rules and and rules are always going to be better than not having rules. I've never been a believer in, you know, a risk management approach that states something like, you know, I I buy a stock and I risk 3%. I buy a stock and I risk two and a half percent. It's an entirely random number. And again, better to have a rule than not to have a rule, but why is two and a half percent important? It's important to you. It's not important to the market. The market doesn't know or care that you're using a two and a half percent stop loss. And maybe there was actually a signal there in the chart that says once that thing was down two and a half percent, that should actually be when you were looking to enter to buy this thing as opposed to the opposite. So I'm looking for stop losses that are going to be technically based in the charts on various time frames. And I specifically want to find a spot that tells me my idea was wrong. I have a, had an issue in the past with my own trading and part of my own personal growth as a trader where I would sometimes try to use these tighter stops. Like, okay, I know that I probably should give it all the way down, you know, this much room, but what if I just, just put in this tighter stop right here and then I get pushed out of the position and the next thing you know, you see it uptick five cents and you go, oh my God, I just got stopped out of the low and then you rebuy it and then you get stopped out again and then you rebuy it and then you get stopped out again and now you're, you're fighting stock and if you just would have given it to the original stop loss to begin with, you would have lost less money than all the churning that you did kind of in the process. So there was definitely a, a time in my career where I made that mistake. And I've realized I'm better off using sometimes a looser stop, but it's going to be the spot where I know at least technically the market is proving to me that my idea was wrong. If, if I can look at this and I can say, you know what, I was genuinely wrong. I, I had this idea. I thought that this was going to happen. It didn't happen. The market proved to me I'm wrong. I'm getting stopped out. I know I'm never going to come back in and start fighting that stock or getting emotional about it or anything like that because I can admit to myself that I was wrong because I'm, I'm wrong all the time. I'm obviously right enough to be able to be sitting here talking to you today. But like I said earlier, there's no such thing as a trader who makes money on every trade that they put on. And as a matter of fact, I think the real difference between people who are successful and not successful is how they handle those losers. You know, you you, you had a winner, your cousin made $4,000. Congratulations. I I could take, you know, your, your pet dog and have him sit in front of the computer and type up a random symbol, press the buy button, and maybe he makes $4,000 by the end of the day. 
telling me that somebody made a certain amount of money doesn't impress me. What impresses me is show me what you did when the idea failed, when the trade failed, how you handled that. And then I'll show you someone who is successful in this business from someone who's not. Oh man, Derek, that was really, really, really good. I, I, I preach how important it is to control your risk more than anything, right? Because people get into this game and they think, it's all sunshine and rainbows, right? Just buy the stock when it's going down so you can get it on sale. And then you'll sell it, buy buy low, sell high, right? You know, the, that's yeah, all I got to do. Sure. I just got to buy it today. <laughs> I'll put it in my portfolio and sometime in the future, it'll be worth, you know, 10 times that. It'll be awesome. That, that's, that always happens every time. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's not the no. case. Yeah. It is all about risk. And, and I got to say, Derek, this is, this has been phenomenal. I love hearing another trader's perspective on this. And what's really fun too, and I, I don't know if you come across this in, in your career, but the it, it reminds me of a story. So Mark Minervini, he's one of my, my mentors. And when he was interviewed for the Market Wizards book, I, I've talked to Jack and Mark on the podcast, Jack Schwager. Nice. Uh, Jack was like, Mark, you're saying the same thing that every other trader says, give me something new. And he's like, Jack, I'm telling you this because that's how it works. Yeah. And it's exactly what you're doing here today. And I, I love hearing that. And hopefully the audience can catch on that stuff. You know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, Derek, let's, uh, let's, let's take a couple of minutes. Tell me about where we can find more about you and your company and, and how we can work more with you in the future. Sure. So I, I work for T3. I work for both T3 Trading Group, which is a FINRA registered broker dealer that engages in professional proprietary trading. That's where my trading desk is housed. So if people are interested in becoming professional traders, it's some, a, a job or a career that you can apply to on the website, t3tradinggroup.com. I also work for T3 Live, which is an affiliate company that engages in education, media, mentorship. So if someone's interested in just learning more about my approach, you can go to t3live.com and check that out. I've also started a, a YouTube pretty recently. It's called Derek the Trader. So I'm getting a lot of cool little mini trading lessons on there. I've been broadcasting my professional team's afternoon meeting with a live, a live stream every day. So if you check out those three spots, you're, you're bound to find me. Very cool. Derek, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day, taking the time away from the screen when you could be making money to have a chat with us today, man. <laughs> this is this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Christopher. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you guys for tuning into today's podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you in the next episode. Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? I have three special free gifts for you over at 10minutestocktrader.com. That's the Triple Stock Profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, How to Easily Discover Proven Backtested 100% Plus Winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours, at 10minutestocktrader.com. The Triple Stock Profits ebook, the free web class, and the Bullish Power Cheat Sheet. And all you got to do is go to 10minutestocktrader.com. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode.